Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast brought to you by NAPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. I am your host, Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director. Today, episode three of our special five-part election series. Making sense of what your team has accomplished and where you can make gains in the future is a fundamental part of running a successful PAC. Today, we explore the return on investment on better research, better analytics, and a better understanding of the cultural trends that affect PAC engagement with Jackie Plunkett, a digital expert with deep experience in brand and political strategy. This episode couldn't come at a better time. NABPAC members are in the home stretch, and the work of a PAC manager, Michaela, is never done. Amen, Adam. I saw that this week with our two member meetup sessions, the professional camaraderie among NABPAC members is really wonderful. It makes joining in on the NABPAC activities fun and rewarding. I'm so sorry I missed it, but I can tell you this. My view from the campaign trail is the same, one of determination. The last mile in every campaign requires maximum attention and focus. Hashtag fact. Speaking of focus, the confirmation hearings for President Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court has captured the attention of many this week. Abigail, Judge Amy Coney Barrett has weathered that storm, but for those of us watching carefully, Adam, one of our core issues was on the list, wasn't it? To be sure. The accusations of dark money and corporate influence flew around that hearing room, specifically in exchange between Senators Whitehouse and Cruz. And lest there be any confusion, it is my duty as a host of the Facts About PACs podcast to make abundantly clear that employee-funded PACs are not the droids you're looking for. No, sir. Employee-funded PACs are the most regulated, transparent, and nonpartisan money in politics, and we're proud of that. Yeah, we really are. We're very proud of that, and we're proud that all of our members are making civic duty a priority. Hashtag fact. All right, Belmar, get to it. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NABPAC activities, share actionable intelligence, and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. This week's special episode of the show is brought to you by the growing list of sponsors for the upcoming NABPAC post-election conference. The American Property Casualty Insurance Association. National Journal, State and Federal Communications, 720 Strategies, Chain Bridge Bank, Walmart, New York Life, National Association of Realtors, NFIB, Dunn Associates, Cision, Sajak Public Affairs, Coke Industries, and Kilbride Public Affairs. And as of today, Michaela, we have more than 100 attendees registered, and we're hoping you, our listeners, will be the next to RSVP. Thanks, Adam. And now for our special guest, Jackie Plunkett, founder, Double Black Digital and Swing Vote Strategies. Welcome to the Facts About PACs podcast, Jackie. Thank you for having me. We're thrilled you could be with us today. If we've learned anything during this special election series, it's that PAC managers can't really do the same things and expect different results, but the institutional process can be slow to change. Jackie, how much of an obstacle is this when it comes to connecting meaningfully with women and other communities? It's a really important obstacle, and I've been beating this drum for a long time, which kind of proof uh, that it takes a long time to try to change this. So I want to talk about an example actually from 2016. And I was at Google at the time, and I ran a workshop based on creative best practices that drew from the consumer world. So my background had been at Google and also at Estee Lauder for a long time in brand management. And 
I wanted to pull in a lot of the best practices on what is the way to have messaging and creative that really resonates with women. And I showed a series of the best commercials and advertisements from that year for women's brands. And that got the most engagement online. We did a brainstorm session and we talked about themes like empowerment and inspiration and aspiration and strength and how women view themselves and define themselves. And we broke out into small groups and the exercise was after everyone had gone through all of those things was to have folks who were members of various committees and the political world to come up with a storyboard that leveraged those principles to come up with an advertisement that would appeal to women and encourage women to vote for a particular candidate. As we go through the storyboard process, this is where I get to sit back and watch what happened. It was very predictable. They had talked about and agreed and got very excited with the themes that we had talked about and it came from translating that and putting it onto a board to sketch out the storyboard for what they want their commercial to be. It turned into, there's a woman and she's on her way to work and she gets into the elevator and she's holding her briefcase and she thinks it's really unfair that she doesn't get paid as much as her male counterparts and she wants to vote for so-and-so because he cares about women and equal pay. And I thought, oh my goodness, where's the empowerment? Where's the inspiration? It looks like this poor woman hates her job. And <laughs> that was not what we were going for. And I like this as an example because it really showed what happened was that when people are used to a process and a way of thinking, they tend to be inspired, but the process strips a lot of that inspiration out and you get very generic results. You know, I've spent a lot of years as a consultant as well, Jackie, and I have found that across the board that when you talk not just about process, but institutional process, power centers within large groups where best ideas and excitement go to die. Getting movement through those and affecting change is really hard. And I love your example, but is it true also for ourselves and our audience of PAC managers? Don't we have to think about how we compose our teams, right? We need this diversity of experience across the board. Absolutely, 100%. And we see examples of this in the corporate world. So as an example, one of my clients, when I was at Google, I covered the General Mills account. And they were really trying to pioneer how to rethink creative. The majority of General Mills brands connect with women consumers and their creative agencies were predominantly men. And so they put the creative business up for review and they put in guidelines that said, we want to talk to companies who have at least 50% representation on their teams of women and have folks on their team who are part of the audience that we are trying to connect with. We want those insights. And there were some companies who couldn't compete for the business because they could not fulfill that criteria. And it's an important example because it's true, particularly in the advertising world, you want to make sure that you have diversity of experience represented at the decision-making level. It's not enough to just have diversity for diversity's sake. They have to be in decision-making roles. Because if the ultimate decision maker is an institutionalized process, you're going to end up with the unhappy woman in an elevator with the briefcase who doesn't seem to like her job versus what we had talked about originally in the inspirational brainstorm of women who were firefighters, 
women who were doctors and RNs at the ER and women who were on the front lines of life and celebrating that. And in order to make sure that you deliver that, you have to have diversity of experience, representation from the people that you're trying to connect with and have them also be in decision-making positions. Jackie, we've been talking to our members about diversifying their PAC boards. There's been a lot of focus on making sure that because our organizations, obviously so many different perspectives from the employee base, that the PAC boards really need to also be diverse in their representation as they go out to solicit their peers on the PAC. And really, I like what you said about understanding the audience and being able to connect with them. So much of what we end up talking about really boils down to authenticity and the ability to connect in a meaningful way with people. You can't manufacture that. You can't read a poll and then come up with a slogan and expect it to stick. There is a lot of nuance, but not nuance in the way that the political world tends to think about nuance. It really is an understanding that happens when you can make a human connection with someone. And that person gets the sense of, they know what I'm going through. So I know that they're going to be able to represent me either on the board or in government or wherever. And you have to have the ability to connect in that way, which is why the diversity of experience is so important. So, so for example, when you, you know, when you meet people that you don't know for the first time, um, really good ways to connect or when you find that suddenly everybody's a dog lover, for example, or you all have kids. And no matter what you do for a living, everybody can bond on those types of things. And it's that concept where you have to have the experience to really understand where people are coming from and show them that you get it. And that's an authenticity issue. And that's not something that can be manufactured. And very often we see in the PAC world and in the advertising world, specifically with, with politics, is the automatic default to a male voiceover in a commercial, for example, the prolific use of stock footage, for example. It's hard to generate authenticity when you are defaulting to very generic types of creative and messaging expression. Let's talk about targeting versus creative. Which one matters more when it comes to connecting with an audience, especially professional women? They're both important. They both play different roles. For the past cycle, full-on four cycle, for example, the focus really has been on targeting. It has been for a long time. And targeting is incredibly important, and it touches on things like finding the appropriate target audience, of course, but also doing so in a way that's cost-effective and a good use of your investment dollars. However, the difference maker is not in the targeting. The reality is targeting at this point is a commodity. We can find whoever we need to talk to, but if you find them and you have a message that falls flat and people think you're inauthentic, it doesn't matter that you found them. What matters is if you are able to meaningfully connect with them. And so that's where creative and messaging, I think, actually is more important. And historically, when in the process of coming up with different campaigns, for example, whether it's an advertising campaign or ground campaign, creative, digital, they tend to be brought in at the end. And then they're forced to work within whatever parameters the team had arrived at prior to bringing them in. Teams need to think further upstream and involve those folks much further in the process of developing the strategy so that 
you can ensure that some of those inspirational themes that we talked about before really make it from the beginning all the way through the process and into the output. And so I would challenge political entities, organizations, PACs to come up with a commercial that doesn't feel political. That is thinking differently. That is standing out. And that is going to be connecting in a meaningful way, whether it's women or whomever. I can see how your philosophy is informed by the learnings of your experience in, at very high levels within Google and in a brand like Estee Lauder. I want to ask you about the PAC community. There are a lot of people out there who are proud of the work that we do and the meaning that it has for our fellow employees. And yet so many other people have preconceived notions about what this space is and what it represents. I mentioned it earlier on in the show, people cast aspersions about dark money and so much rhetoric goes into attacking people. Will you talk to us about how communication that breaks through doesn't tell people who they are, how they should feel, but recognizes how they actually identify and see themselves and speaks to that notion of self? I completely agree. And again, it gets back to that. Are you able to connect authentically? And do people feel that they can see a piece of what they believe in in you? whether it's you as an individual or you as an organization. And PACs have an incredible power to be such an incredible force for good. And to express that differently will be more powerful than expressing that in the traditional political sense where it unfortunately becomes this murky world of politics that people don't like. And so if you can break through that messaging and break through that feeling, there are, as an example, there are studies that show certain creative elements that promote good mood in people and activate different parts of the brain. And if you can have messaging and creative that makes people feel good about who they are and what they do for a living and where they're going in the future, that would be awfully nice to see more of that. And very typically you see from political organizations where they say, well, we can't do that. We have to do negative because, you know, negative messaging because we know that that works. And I would challenge folks that when you keep getting the same answer from everyone, that is an institutionalized thought process. And so that's not going to change your ability to connect with people and show that you are a force for good. I think by taking some of these lessons from the consumer world, they have, to, they have to do this because they have to be able to answer to investors. So they have to have processes that work. They have to connect meaningfully. And at the end of the day, their term is consumers. Our term is voters. It's still people. You're just asking them to do something a little bit different, right? In the consumer world, you would like for them to, to buy a product. But in our world, you would like for them to give you their support, whether it's support behind a policy or support behind a candidate. But you still have to connect with people and know how to connect with people. And the consumer world does that very, very well. And the political world has created a process that worked well for a particular time period. The context is now very different. And so the tools need to be different. And that's where the political world is behind and can really benefit from the consumer world. So Jackie, I agree with you 100%. I'm curious how you see that playing out in elective politics. Do you think Democrats or Republicans do this kind of female creative best right now? No, they do not. Um, if you look at as an example, I'd love to see the current numbers, but at the time in 2016, about 95% of all voiceovers were men. 
male voices. The vast majority of creative teams are men. Very frequently, I would give, you know, workshops talking about creative and messaging, and the women in the room were all nodding, saying, this is amazing. As a woman, I love this. This is terrific. And the men would say, I don't get it. And I don't blame them. It's really just an example of different people think about things differently. And that's okay. But now, now we're all familiar with the term of mansplaining, right? So effectively, that's unfortunately what happens. And I, and I don't think that it's necessarily intentional all the time. But I think that there, you know, historically, we have just seen that the way that women get defined tends to be through polling language. And there are very few opportunities where women get to define themselves. And depending on your life stage, you have different experiences and you're going to connect with women differently. And that is not represented in political advertising and political communications. It's still very generic. So it will be topics like, well, women care about the um, child tax credit. It's just very predictable. And I think until we start seeing more women in real decision-making roles and really trying new creative, organizations are still going to wonder why they're failing to connect meaningfully with women. For our listeners who are trying to solicit funds for their PACs across their employee eligible base, how do you get them to engage in the PAC? How do you do that in one message and reach all of these audience and connect authentically? That can be tough because often resources can be limited, right? And finding that balance of breadth versus depth can be tough. So I think that's where listening is very important and understanding what are those common threads that bring the most people together? What are they? And those are very often not captured in polls. It's very often captured in actual human to human interaction and conversation. That's where you see the nuance. You don't really see nuance in polls. And I'll give another beauty example. In the prestige beauty world, they have beauty counters. And in the mass consumer product world, so, you know, the mascaras that are sold in drugstores, you don't have beauty counters. And so the advantage of having beauty counters were that you had an entire army of folks who were on the ground face-to-face with consumers every single day. And they can hear the feedback on the products and they can hear what they cared about and why they like the product. And it, it basically is an entire market research apparatus. And those nuances then get funneled back up the chain and help inform future growth for the company. In mass market brands, they didn't have that. So what they do is a lot of polling, which is what a lot of political organizations do. And it's market research. They have to go out and ask people and you only get the kind of information that you're asking for. And that's very different than when you're having an organic conversation with someone. And so there is a benefit to blending both of those practices. And so the benefit of employee packs is you you have the ability to have those conversations with employees and really suss out what are those threads that are common so that we can help the most people in the most meaningful way. We have a platform here at NADPAC for recognizing the work of our members. It's called the Trailblazer Awards. We're actually going to start interviewing for that next week, which is pretty exciting. The creative entries here are inspiring. What should each of us be thinking about as we gear up for 2021 and strive to reflect our constituencies better? 
I think when we take a step back, it's important to think, if I didn't have these parameters, if I had a fresh slate, what would I do? And I think it's important to take time and think through, what would you do if you could? And then identify what are some of the things that prevent you from doing that? And where can you make meaningful change? How can we rethink process and predictability? And how do we use that so that we can continue to celebrate everyone who makes up our company? And what are ways that we can do that authentically so that employees know that they are appreciated and that they've been heard? The power of those two things is incredible. And I think taking some time to really think about what are some ways where we can accelerate that and really celebrate our constituents, what does that look like? And what are some of the things that are getting in the way of us doing that now where it really will feel like a fresh start and we really will start changing some processes that allow for more varied thinking that helps us connect more meaningfully with broader groups of people. Finally, in a world where work from home isn't going anywhere, how important is live event interaction as a part of our overall communications agenda? I think for the next year, we're going to have to try to connect authentically in a virtual environment. Yes, we are. And, and people have varying degrees of comfort with that. It's new for a lot of people. You know, I'm coming from Google, so I, I spend 75% of my day on video conferences. And in the beginning, it was weird because you see yourself and you're always checking your hair and you're always looking off to the side. And, you know, it's, it's weird and your mind is going in different directions. It's a new experience. But I think we're all settling in and I think there is an opportunity for everyone to bond over that. And you can do that over video conference. I think that video conferencing makes it easier. It's harder when it's just, let's say, a, a phone call and it's just voices. You know, when it's a video conference, you can still see people's facial expressions. You can... Um, I've been in video conferences where, you know, the first few minutes, for example, people will ask questions about what's in your background? What's, what's that thing I see over there? Oh, you play keyboard? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and it's very humanizing, you know, and I was on a call yesterday and someone's cat kept meowing in the background and they looked horrified. And I just thought it was really funny because then, then my dog started to bark. So I think, I think that even though it is virtual, it's still very human because we're all experiencing it. And, and no matter how senior you are or how junior you might be, we're all going through this together and we're all sharing very similar experiences. And I think that that can be a way to show that we are a tight community and we can connect in that way. And that is a positive thing. Jackie Plunkett, thank you so much for being a part of our election special. So great to hear all of your experiences and insights. Thank you so much, Michaela. It's great to be here. Money in the bank. Good stuff, team. Coming up next week, part four of the Facts About PACs election special, where you'll have a front row seat on our ride into the mind of advocacy and political ad maker par excellence, Will Ritter of Pool House. I'm looking forward to it too, Abigail. Nothing more fun than jumping inside the mind of an ad maker, Michaela. That's right. And I just want to thank all of our listeners for making us the number one pack podcast in America. Until next week, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.